Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. I am more than excited to introduce this week's episode where myself, Eva Lauren Jean Charles, and father and co-founder Jamal Thomas sit down with Dr. Charles Davidson to discuss how we can use this dark time due to the COVID-19 pandemic to recreate and reimagine what education could and should look like for Black students. Dr. Davidson is a mentor and a confidant, and I can't wait for many of you to have the opportunity to hear from him. I often look at a post-it he gave me on August 26, 2019 that told me to choose a better feeling thought. He is consistently dropping gems, and I am excited for you all to hear them. Sit back, relax, grab a snack, and enjoy the conversation. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Black on Black Education podcast. I am so excited for the conversation we're going to have today. But as always, I allow our guests to introduce themselves to the people. So hi, everybody. I'm Charles Davidson. I am the director of the Pre-Law Institute and the Center for Postgraduate Opportunities at John Jay. Um, I am really excited because I know Eva from my days at the, for her days at the college. So this is a, and we had really always had wonderful conversations. So this is like a natural outpouring of our hours in my office talking about education, black people and everything in between. <laughs> so I'm really excited to be here. Um, and to see that, and to really say, just to, to start off, just to say how proud I am of you and how wonderful Thank it is you. that you actually made this happen. I mean, I remember sort of the arc of our conversations, right? I mean, going back years now, and I just, it makes me so happy to see that you found something, you took it, you dreamed it, and then you made it happen. So this is really just like, um, this is wonderful for me to see this, just as someone who knows you from, from your college days. Thank you. Yeah, so as many of you know, I graduated from John Jay College, class of 2020, class of Zoom, and uh, I am super excited about this conversation, just as Dr. Davidson said, um, because he was there with the birthing and the, like, developing and the, I have questions and I have no idea what I'm doing. Like, he was there kind of as a, as a listening ear. I could pop in the office and just chat, which was always incredible. So now we're just going to press record on one of those chats. Uh, my dad's going to join us and I'm really, really excited about it. So you mentioned what you do, um, like your title, but can you get a little bit more into who you are? Um, and I remember distinctly coming to your office for the first time and you asking me that and me sitting there being like, <laughs> how does one answer this question? Um, because I started out with like, a, I'm in this program, I do this, this is my GPA, this is where I am. And he's like, no, no, who are you? So I'm gonna kick that question right back to you. Who are you and then why is it that you do what you do? Sure, so just to, just to get just a, a bit more clarity on what I do, um, Technically, I mean, so, so running these programs, I basically support students who are interested in anything, doing anything after um, under their undergraduate years. That is, students who are interested in law school and graduate school. This is my particular area. I used to be a lawyer. I became a professor, um, and now I'm sort of a, an advisor, mentor, and resource to students who are interested in postgraduate opportunities. Um, so that's kind of what I do. Um, the who I am, um, you know. And if you're absolutely correct, I ask that of every student, um, you know, students come in and they say, hi, I'm Eva. And I say, great. And I'm a, and they say, you know, I'm a junior. And I say, great. But who are you? Right. And so the question of who I am, I think I, I, I always answer. I think um, particularly in this day and age, I start off um, by saying in most audiences, I'll start off by saying I'm someone who loves black people. 
that's really, I think, what I call the organizing principle of, of my life, right? I, I have organized my life around that principle in lots of ways, professionally, personally, intellectually, spiritually, in lots of ways, I've organized myself around that. So that's, I would say that's who I am. I also am someone who is very, um, I'm a person who very intentionally and very, um, I hope, planfully and thoughtfully thinks about ways in which I can support other people, right? I, I um, came from a, a world where, um, ideas of success were super traditional, super middle class, you know, become a professional, do really well, you know, make money, live, you know, live a middle class life. Um, and I tried that and I learned very quickly on that. That was not, um, that was not the, what success was going to look like for me. Um, I always tell people that my life really changed when I was able to vocalize and to say to another person, I don't want what you want. Right. That, and it's such a, a, it's such a small thought, but it was a big thing for me because then it allowed me to sort of live my life in the way that I wanted to live. So I, I quickly left my the legal work. Um, I left the practice of law. I went back to, to grad school at 30. Um, I did my master's and my PhD. Um, and then I realized I love teaching. I love being, I love watching students learn. I love helping students learn. Um, but the other thing I also love is I love um I love the international world, right? I love the world outside of America very much. So I spent the next 13 years traveling around the world, teaching in schools in the Middle East, the former Soviet Union, and really helping students who had never had anyone to sort of support them in, in any real way outside of um, an academic support. And really that support academically wasn't that great. So, and when I started doing that, that really touched the nerve in me like, oh, this is where, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I do. This is what I do. I do the teaching. I do the academic stuff. I do the administrative stuff. But really what brings me alive is when I'm in that room one-on-one -on -one with the student, having the conversations, the kind that we had about what matters to you. Like I see who I am as someone who helps people become who they are, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's the way I would describe myself and who I am and what I do. Beautiful. So something that popped up for me while you were talking was um, you, you obviously work at the uh, you know college and university um, level, um, but you know people start to typically ask kids so much earlier. You know, like what do you want to be, and 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 they typically don't say who do you want to be. But I do love you know that that question as well. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on when um, it's kind of appropriate to start to to you know ask kids that question, um, and and how do you do it in a way that you don't pigeonhole them into a particular thing um, before that, before it's time? Right. I think it's a great question. I think, um, you know, it, it's just a, a, a you know, well-known hallmark of our American culture, right? That we ask people when we meet them, what do you do? Right. We, we don't, we don't ask them about any of the qualities. We don't ask. It's like, we aren't even concerned about those things. We're, mm. It's almost like your profession is a shorthand for who you are, for the quality of who you are. And that's a fascinating, fascinating cultural phenomenon, right? because it's obviously untrue. Obviously, we don't get any information from that. Um, and it allows all of us to sort of walk through lives thinking we are this sort of, um, we are this, 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 this shell, right? We're this paper resume, we're, this, we're, we're, we're our accomplishments, we're our degrees, we're our jobs, we're all those things. Um, so, you know, I think to counteract that, I think it is important to start asking people early on. Like, you know, it's important to think about what you're going to do, obviously, but it's really more important to think about who you're going to be in those scenarios, right? In those situations. You know, I absolutely wish that somebody had asked me 
at a much younger age. I don't know the age I would it would have really resonated, but I think you know somewhere in my early teens it might have started to land. If somebody started thinking, told me, stop thinking so much about what you want to do. Like, who do you want to be? Like, what do you? Yeah. Who do you want to help? Right. Um, mm. I think those questions. The earlier we can inject them into the conversation, right? And it's certainly not to. Um, you know, obviously, maybe asking a seven-year-old, it may be a little bit early, right? I mean, that's a, the self-concept is still forming at that point. But I don't think it's at all too early for us to be asking kids or starting to ask students in their middle school years, certainly in their early teen years, think about careers, think about pathways, but also think about qualities, right? Think about characteristics, think about those things, um, and give them the space and the tools to do that. Now, the challenge, of course, it is, is that most educators haven't thought about it. Right. Mm. Most educators are like, I'm a professor and that's OK. And that's and that's and that's the end of that of that of that you know conversation. Um, but we as educators have to be empowered and sort of liberated enough to be able to think about who we are to help other people do that. Um, I certainly wish that somebody had asked me um, much earlier. I think it might have helped me a lot um, because one of the things I did realize is that, you know, um, even though I've gone through all of these sort of different phases of my life, the older I get the more I realized I am who I always was, mm. Mm. right? But I just did, nobody sort of tapped into that or, or asked me to turn and tap into it. So um, I went through much of my life thinking I was this, you know, paper CV, right? That, that was, that's who I was, that I was this, you know, I was this, this set of accomplishments. And, you know, I did a talk the other day at, at University of Maryland for the black students there. And the, 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 the moderator read up this bio of mine and she got it offline, I guess. And it was a really lovely bio. And it was like all of these degrees and all of these countries and all of these jobs. And it was, and the students were like, wow, in the chat, wow, wow. And I sat there for a minute and I thought, this is a disaster, right? <laughs> I said that, you know, and I said to the students, I said, you know, before we begin, let me just start by saying that that was a lovely bio and I think it was great, I think, you know, whoever wrote it, it might have been me. I think I followed, I followed the conventions of the bio genre, right? I did exactly what you do in a bio. I said, but the problem with that is, is that you now believe that you're talking to a person who is not that, mm. right? That's actually not who I am, right? Ultimately, um, those are the things I did, right? But mm. the truth is, I have another resume that I can never show anybody. It's in, inside of me, of course, but it's, you know, that bio masks all of my failure. It masks my insecurity. It masks my imposter syndrome days. It masks my, all the setbacks I had. It masks the rejection. It doesn't tell you who I am. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a best hits, right? Without any of the, without any of the flops, right? And so I, I, I had to start off that conversation by saying, like, I don't want you to get wedded to the paper version of me, nor do I want you to get wedded to a paper version of you. Right. You, you need to really think about that, that that resume that you can never show anybody, which talks about which in which you think about all the things that you did, but you can never tell another person. All your little victories, your secret successes, the things you've overcome that people didn't even know you were going through. That's the resume I think we need to attend to a little bit more. And so this piece mm -hmm. of paper, which, you know, tends to sort of. I don't know, encapsulate us in some way that I think is really constricting and, and in my case, really, really false. It was like the students were so excited about that. And I was like, wait a second, a lot of failure there that I didn't write about. Um, there was a lot of there was a lot of rejection. There was a lot of there's a lot of racial trauma that I don't even discuss in that. So, um, yeah, I think that's. Yeah, but I think I think that's so valid. And like as you were talking, I'm kind of thinking about 
the topic of this conversation, right? The pandemic and how mm. m this is a moment um, that when I write my memoir, like is gonna be so essential um, because I was not anyone, like anywhere near the paper version of me in the beginning of this pandemic, nor was so many other people. I wasn't going to class. I wasn't answering questions. I was just camera off, like I'm over it. And so anyone who knows me is like, what, Eva? wasn't raising her hand, like, excuse me. And, but that is where I had the opportunity to talk to people who I hadn't talked to in a long time and think about the things that I didn't have time to do before and really just start to grow like all of those, those personal triumphs because they were very personal. I, the, the, I was supposed to have my McNear um, graduation, my honors program graduation, my regular graduation, all of these things that were like accolades that were gonna show me how great I was. And great. all of that stuff was like, the pandemic said, no ma'am. Yep. And I had to realize like, but those things weren't necessarily, I mean, granted. I still wanted my graduation, um, but, um, <laughs> but, and you deserve it. But I also realized that I'm more than having people clap for me and that like the work that I'm doing is important. And so that's why in the matter of a couple of months, black on black education blew up in a way that I was not expecting. Um, and we still have tons of way to go, but everything that you said is so like on key with, I had a professor tell me like, listen, I know things are rough right now, what's going on, but what is it that you wanna feel? What, like, what do you wanna create? Who do you wanna serve? And those questions really oriented me to like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing, even though this is what I wanted to be doing. I thought I should be doing right now. Okay. And so I just wanna kind of get into this conversation around the pandemic, around recreating the world um, as we move through this just like global pause button. Um, oh, excuse me. How has your life and your work changed since the onset of the pandemic? Oh, wow. Eva, so I guess um, like everybody else, it's changed hugely, right? Um, it's changed in huge ways. Um, I um, I think, you know, your point is super well, well, well stated, right? That um, it, this shift that none of us ever anticipated, right? I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, who could have ever thought, right, a year ago that we'd be wearing masks everywhere? Or that there would be more than a quarter, of, uh, more than a quarter of a million people, or approaching a quarter of a million people dead, right? Who who were here with us last year, right? It's 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 shocking um, how life has changed, right? Um, my life, of course, has changed in the ways that everybody says. You know, I'm home all the time. Um, I am, you know, I I see very few people. Um, it is, um, I, I have the same feelings of sort of isolation and sort of disconnect that many people do. Um, I, I am, of course, though, you know, and I think your point uh, alludes to this, um, I, I, I'm super grateful and I'm super privileged to be able to even, you know, talk about this. I mean, to even be here with you today. Um, I, it has been a reset for all of us, right? I mean, in some ways, I think it's reset me in the idea that I am much less less apt to take things for granted that we're just so normal right now it just seems like the most amazing thing to just see a group of people right to see my friends to it seems beyond all imagining to like just i don't know go to the movies right these things that we did just as as a commonplace practice just seem really um 
far-fetched now, right? They seem really, really out, out of, out of, out of, in a, from a different world. Um, but I think, you know, it has been an opportunity for all of us to sort of rethink the way we're doing things. I realize now, like so many people did, I realized I was exhausted. I realized I was, I was, I was caring way too much. I, I, you know, busy had become so normal, right. And almost like a, it had become a marker of achievement in some ways. Um, when there was nothing for me to do, I had to learn to do nothing. Right. Um, and to be okay with that. Right. Um, I learned in this period, it, it sort of showed me that, um, you know, it reinforced this idea. I think that you 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 alluded to that that right that oh right. And I always knew this, but sometimes it takes this big sort of you know major event to sort of just bring it home. But I, I realized how I realized how much of the world and how much I was just so externally focused. I was just focused on everything happening out there, right? I was just, it was just all out there. The action was out there, the action was out there. And I think this has just been a period where I think many of us or many people, if you have the sort of the luxury to do so, and I think it is something of a luxury, I I, I was able to sort of um, really use this time to, to sort of go inward on things, right? And to sort of get some clarity about what I'm doing, about what I've, not doing about um, what I should be doing. And, and I'm really leery about that because, you know, one of the, the should be doing part, anyway, I'm a little bit leery about that just because one of the challenges that I had, and I think many people had, is that during this period, I really felt like I wasn't doing enough. I really felt I had this sense of like inadequacy, right? I felt really, I felt really that I had come up short every day. I'm like, oh, well, I only did three emails today. I only read 50 pages today. You know, and it was this whole notion of like, I should have been doing something. You know, I started like four different foreign languages during this period. I mean, it was just out of, I mean, I've read so many books, but part of that is because that's what I want to do. But part of it was because there is this notion of like, who am I if I'm not productive me, right? If I'm not productive in the traditional sense, who am I? And I think it really has, uh, for me at least, but I think for many people that I know, this has really changed in the way that I think about how we've internalized some of the harshest message of capitalism, and we, 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 that we embody this idea that if we aren't productive, we aren't valuable, right? And then to really think about how we think about our, 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 our ourselves as people, as, as human beings and human doings, right? And just to really get comfortable with the fact that it's okay if a day goes by and you actually just watch Netflix. That's not a bad day in a global pandemic, right? That's not a bad day. So so that's, the, that's one of the big things. And then just quickly about my work, since I'm not teaching this semester, it's not, it hasn't been such a huge shift for me. Obviously, um, doing everything online is a bit odd for me. Um, I am a very much in person. I mean, when I'm teaching, I'm, you know, I'm very, very engaged, very active, very sort of interactive with students. So, um, you know, it's been interesting, but I will say this, um, it has offered us possibilities and opportunities that I think we did not have, right? We do have this moment to rethink stuff. So. You know, it's been obviously a mixed bag. When I look at what's happening in the world, I'm not, it's it's not good. Um, but at the same time, I do understand in these moments of, of, of huge shifts that we always have to keep our eyes um, open for the possibilities and for the opportunities, right? In our lives and the lives of others. Yeah, what, what uh, you know, one of the things that came up for me when you just was talking or just question more or less is um, when you go, when you do teach it in the in the next semester, you know, how has this period of time changed um, what you are going to, you know, deliver to to students, how you're going to deliver it to, to, to students? 
Right. I think that's the thing. So, you know, I actually misstated because, you know, when the when the pandemic started, I was actually teaching. So okay. in, I was teaching last spring. And, and so I had the students in person from, I guess, I guess even we had we we were February and March. We had basically mm-hmm. February mm-hmm. some of and then halfway through March, yeah. And then halfway through March we stopped. So um I had them in class. We were on this really interesting intellectual journey. I teach I teach on international criminal law. So I was teaching a class about genocide, war crimes, and crimes against humanity, right? So these enormous international crimes that are um really obviously some of the most egregious things that ever happened. So, you know, I, I, we were on this intellectual journey with the students and then um, halfway through, they're like, well, this is, you know, stay home, everybody. So we switched to this 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 digital platform. And for me, um, it was interesting because I was really nervous at first, right? But, but, you know, what I realized when I started seeing the students on Zoom, I'm like, well, they're nervous too. We're all nervous, right? It's not my nervousness or your nerve. It's our collective nervousness, right? It's our collective anxiety, which was really a liberating thing for me because, you know, one thing this, this did was, is that, you know, I had this whole syllabus and this whole plan of this is the journey I want to go on. I mean, I threw that thing out. I'm like, forget it. I mean, I mean, I threw it out. I'm like, this doesn't, it doesn't, it, it doesn't mean anything anymore, right? And it didn't mean anything really then, I realized, right? What what it, what what I do think it's done for me is to think about how do I deliver or how do I offer information that is um, what the students want to learn? So one of the things I did when this was, when this happened, I said, well, you know, since we don't have to follow anything anymore, we I don't really, we don't even have to do this class, to be honest with you. I can just make videos, right? We don't, you don't even have to see me again. We have the opportunity to think about what we want to do now. Right. So I said, one of the things I like to do is I like to scrap a bunch of these topics and go in deep on a few other ones. Right. And and we I sort of took a, a vote and got some consensus and we sort of changed our changed our, our our approach. We got rid of a lot of topics and we really we really dove into some of the, the big ones. Um, so in lots of ways, this shift has been freeing. Um, I think if you aren't caught up in sort of having to make things look like they used to look because they don't, and it's a, it's kind of a fool's errand to try to do that. But um, if you aren't committed to sort of making things look like they did before, I think you have this real interesting opportunity to, um, I honestly felt like the class I had last semester was one of the best classes I've ever taught. I, I actually think my Zoom class was, because you know, it's one thing when I'm teaching from the kitchen and they're in the bedroom, right? Something changes, right? This the, the hierarchies are gone, right? That's one thing that I think that this thing did. It got rid of a lot of the hierarchies. It was like, it was like, I'm a dude in the kitchen um, teaching and they're like in the bed and the dog is on top of them in the bed. And, you know, it, it, you know, so, I mean, like, who, 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 who cares, right? I mean, we, 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 it was just like people in their houses and we're just talking about things. Um, and I think, you know, that was one thing that, that shifted with me. So I sort of got moved away from sort of the structure that was so important, I think, before and to sort of say, like, what do you want to learn? What, what do you want to learn? Like, what in this moment do you want to learn about? And, and so it's, and fascinating things came out from that that I might not have known. So for instance, I'm teaching this class on genocide and I realized at some point, I'm talking about the histories of genocide and I'm talking about these things. And then this class is, you know, full of students who are Latinx and there's some black students as well, um, but predominantly a Latinx class, um, many of whom are are majoring in, in Latin American studies, right? Um, so Latino Latin American studies. And so, you know, it was interesting because I was talking about genocide and I realized, um, there had been no input about the genocide that occurred on the land that we're talking about, right? It's like really wonderful to talk about Rwanda, right? In Cambodia and right in Bosnia. But what about here, right? What about the fact that this is the site of an enormous genocide? And you know, the fact of the matter was the students just 
had never been taught that before. Like, so it's interesting. I'm like, so I said, you know, it makes me wonder about what I've been teaching you and about how I've been teaching you and about what anybody's been teaching you because how do you get to be an, a, a junior in the honors class and you've never had, the, no one's ever challenged you to think about the fact that we live on the site of an enormous genocide, right? So I, I say that to say that, you know, in this moment, we can think about teaching in lots of different ways. I think it's really important for me to, uh, to sort of remember that you can throw things out now. I mean, I mean, you could throw them out before, but now you can really throw them out. I mean, right. you don't. The hierarchies are blurred if 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 they're existent at all. Um, and I think it's just a reminder what we should have be doing all the time, and we should have always been doing, and I hope we'll be doing going forward, is to really attend to the learning and the knowledge that is important to the people who are in front of us. Right? It's. I find it fascinating that a, a bunch of students who are, are who are who are um, studying Latin, Latinx studies had never talked about the genocide either in North America or South America, right? Um, and so, um, you know, I think we can use this opportunity just to sort of shed what we think we need to do and do what do what the needful thing is, go right to where the students are. Um, Definitely really, really, really hope that, you know, people like listened intently there and, and that that is the way that uh, people are approaching things. I, I remember when everything kicked off, one of the first things that that and I'm not a, a tradition, I'm not a traditional educator. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not, I've never been in the classroom. And so, you know, some people may be like, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. But, um, you know, some stuff that seems really self-evident. And so the idea of you know, from all levels of sitting down and understanding what a child actually wants to learn or what a young adult actually wants to learn, um, it, it, it only makes sense that those are going to be the things that, that are going to help them to better understand the learning process because the things that they're that they're interested in. Um, and so if, if, you know, if nothing else, you know, good comes out of um, of of you know the, the death and, and and economic destruction you know that the pa pandemic has um, caused if it if it allows us to you know create environments where the act of unlearning becomes just as important as the act of learning um, and the act of putting things aside that we no longer need um, to replace them with things that are going to um, you know move us towards a, a brighter future in education um, then then you know hope. Ho these are trade-offs that <laughs> just happen all the time, but hopefully people are looking at that trade-off and, and trying to support um, su support it. Like if we had to go through this crap, you know, let's make sure on the other side of it, something good comes out of it. So I, I definitely hope that people um, are able to look at things, uh, look at things that way. I hope so too. I, I, I do think that um, one of the sort of the downsides in this that I've seen on this has been though, is that again, there's that notion of we've got to do this in a different format, but we're going to do it exactly like we did it before, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we're we're going to. I'm going to tell you what is important to you, right? I'm going to tell you what you need to know, um, and I think you know it's a squandered moment, um, and and I think it also to me, you know, one of the things that that and and your point is so is so important because I do think you know one of the things I've always done in the classroom has been on the first day to ask the students, what do you want to do? I come with a syllabus, but I say I can throw it away and I can do a new one. Right. I mean, I, but I, but to your point, I also think it requires something that educators sometimes don't have, and particularly younger educators, is that um, it takes a lot of confidence to come into a room and say, I can teach whatever you want me to teach you. Mm. Right. I can, I can do whatever you want to do. Right. You have to sh you have to shed your ego. 
right? You have to shed your 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 positionality in the room, right? You have to shed a lot of things and sort of put somebody else in the driver's seat, um, which of course we should have always been doing. But um, I think it's where we're now gives us a, a really extraordinary moment to to rethink about to rethink hierarchies, to rethink about um, about what we're what, about how we how we attend to what students want and need to know, right? Um, so yeah, that's that, that's been a real. It, it was a it was a big shift for me. I thought the class was going to be really very difficult. It was the most vibrant discussion I've ever had. Right? I mean, some of the best yeah. discussions we've ever had. Absolutely, and I agree. And I, I had very similar experiences um, with some of my classes as it came to the to, to the end of of my time in college. Um, and I think it was because one, people were craving interaction, right? And so that want to come to school. Um, at least for me and for people who are in some of my classes, it was even more than before because it was, there was this just serious push to like interact and be intellectually stimulated because there's only so much Netflix that you can right. watch before right. you start going crazy. Right. Um, and so I really, I agree that I've had some of the most intellectually stimulating conversations that I've had, um, during the pandemic, particularly the podcast, the conversations that we're having in those times, like people were just really thinking about how we come out on the other side of this, mm -hmm. um, changing, yes. just changing, like changing <laughs> everything. Um, people have always said, those of us who consider ourselves abolitionists, like you're, we're never gonna be able to just stop what we did. The regents just said, we're not gonna do it. Like that simple. Okay. We're like, nope, right. we're, they're not right. taking the exam. Right. So right. if it was that easy to say, we're not taking the exam, then clearly the exam is not something that is just so necessary to children learning um, that it needed to exist. It's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating the stuff that we thought we could never do without. Never. In weeks was gone, right? Things that were, just, were articles of faith that could never be challenged were gone, right? So, and in your point, I, I said this so much and I agree with you 100%. It means they weren't important in the first place. It means that they weren't good in the first place, right? And I think the thing to your point about that is it does make me think about, you know, yes, it, this, 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 this situation gave us this opportunity to look at things differently. Um, but, you know, I also think that, I mean, this is the, a very sort of, um, very sort of dark um, benefit, right, of this, but, but it brought forth things like this, things that were just simply habit, wrote routine things that we called rules because we called them rules, not because they had any intrinsic value in their own right, um, which I think is super important. I mean, especially with things like testing, right? Um, I mean, which we know is a barrier, right, that has been thrown up artificially to keep some people in a certain place in society, a lot of times with black people. Um, I talk a lot about this with law school admissions, right? That the law school admissions test, which has changed now itself, right? Now it's shorter, they got rid of a section, you know, it's you do it at home. We could have been doing that forever, right? We could have been doing that forever. Um, uh, but, you know, I think the other, the sort of the dark side of this though, of course, has been just like it's shown us what has been, you know, been done and replicated over and over just because we keep continue to do it. It also, I think, because it underscored so much of the inequity that we live with, that we thought was just normal, right? I mean, maybe we didn't think it was normal. We knew it wasn't okay. But um, but as a society, we had chosen collectively to say, well, this is just the way things go, right? But the pandemic, of course, 
you know, a virus being a virus does not respect those those those, those distinctions, right? And the virus, um, of course, and we see this particularly now cutting across huge swaths of the nation, right? Um, but I think, you know, it really did underscore all of the things that we had made an uncomfortable, but we had made a, a peace with, right? We had made a peace with the in the vast inequities that were um, plaguing black students and poor students and um, second English as a second language, non non English speaking students, and that 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 had sort of that had sort of plagued LGBTQs. I mean, we saw all of these things come to the fore, right? Um, it was easy to mask that in the time when everybody just went home. You did your class. You went home. Everybody was done. Now the issue, these issues of inequity really just came right to the fore. And, you know, in some ways, I think we've looked at them. And I think in some small cases, we've, 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 we've grappled with them. I, I'm happy to see the regents canceling the exam. I'm happy to see these things going by the wayside. At the same time, we have to, as an educational community, as a society, we have to think about how we are going to attend to the inequities that this thing has brought up right to our face. We can't deny it anymore, right? Yeah. We, I walked by the college, you know, during the middle of the pandemic. I just happened to go down there and there were students sitting out on the steps. Um, the college was closed, but they're sitting on the steps because nobody cut the Wi-Fi off. Right. Mm. Heartbreaking. Disgusting and really just uh, so deeply problematic. Right. And I thought, wow, this is the this is the this is the country we live. In, right. This is this yep. is this is this is this is where we live. Yep. And, and there's just so many moments, like I had a professor um, for a final, he was like, yeah, you have to have it. You, it needs to be done by Tuesday at 11.59. And one of my friends, she listened, John Jay, I met no hustlers like John Jay students right. and right. professors like hustlers. And so she was like, I have a daughter. I'm preparing to go to a PhD program. Like I don't, I, I don't have the capacity to do that. He's like, well, if we were in person, then you would have to come. Well, if we weren't in a global pandemic, she would have childcare. Right. Like, <laughs> like what are we doing? And so it really- Please, no, please, wait. go ahead, please. No, no, it, it really is just thinking about how it is, how indoctrinated we've all been to this is how things have to work in order for it to like, in order for it to happen, like in order for the, the end goal to happen, th- these are the steps that we must take in order to get there, which just is and inaccurate. <laughs> it's inaccurate and it's also insane, right? Because the way we were doing things, look at the outcomes. They weren't great for a lot of people, <laughs> right? Yes, we could continue to do it and we could say, oh yeah, but look what we were doing. Yeah, look what we were doing. Look who, look what we weren't doing. Look who was getting left behind with what we were doing. Look at what, I mean, you know, I mean, I, you know, as someone who spent, you know, now the bulk of my career in the educational realm, and it's been such mm-hmm. a funny space for me, um, you know, I think we don't talk enough about with students um, about, because, you know, it's, it's a very self-congratulatory field, right? We were like, oh, look, she learned this. She got an A, she went to Harvard. I mean, we, we have these weird metrics that we look at, but the fact of the matter is we know, and I think all, you know, everybody here knows, you know, that, that these institutions in so many ways 
are just producing and replicating the inequality exists in the world, right? We're, we're the, you know, this whole notion that we're making all of this change in schools, it's a great idea. I don't know that it's happening for a lot of students. I just don't know that it's happening. I just think in lots of ways, we just keep churning people out um, to sort of occupy places where, you know, in, in the sort of the, the societal hierarchy that we expect them to fit in, right? And so I, I, I'm always leery of this, the underlying notion that, yeah, we were doing things right and we were, you know, and the pandemic came and messed everything up. And when we can reset and go back to normal, I'm like, normal was terrible. Right. Let's just be clear, normal was terrible. So you right. can go back to terrible. Yeah, right. no, I mean, even in the even in the K through 12 system, we said that it was OK for certain students because of their their socioeconomic status, because of the property taxes in their in their um, community, that they didn't deserve to have computers. They didn't deserve to know how to use the thing that will make them successful in the future. Like end of sentence. Um, we like we said that that was okay, and then when there was a global pandemic, all of a sudden now we can get computers and hotspots for every child. And 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 just to say, we're not we're still not doing that. Shout out to New York State, where you sit on the phone for an hour to help your student out, and nobody helps you. Yeah, right. Um, I mean, I'm. So it's crazy. It's fascinating. What I mean, you know, I mean, I, I always, you know, I was asking the students in the class last semester. I was like, isn't it fascinating that this thing happened and all of a sudden the government was able to disperse money and give people money, right? Because you, you, you didn't have the money. I mean, people needed the money a year ago, right? People, people have always, it's fascinating what people, when they think a situation is extraordinary, it's fascinating what they'll do when in fact the situation, yes, and some very superficial level, yes, this is a novel situation. The problems mm -hmm. that it's underscored are not at all new, right? Absolutely. I mean, Right. Anybody who understood anything about sort of the 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 nature of black life in America would have not been surprised a year ago if you said to them, well, if a, if a, a virus came to this country, who would be hardest hit? Who, who would who would be the people who were, would suffer the most? Who would be the people who were locked out of? Right. I mean, mm -hmm. these aren't new problems. Right. Um, but we were so steeped in our idea of this is normal. This is normal. I mean, I think, you know, you, you made a point about this I, that I think is so important that I see in my work is that, you know, yeah, we live in a place where the decision was made to fund education on property taxes with the obvious consequences that's going to have for certain students. Mm -hmm. It mm -hmm. doesn't escape anybody's attention that that's obviously going to create a bifurcated system where the people who have will have and Right. And that Scott will get and then that's not shall lose. Right. I mean, Billy Holiday and the Bible say it. Right. So it's 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 clear that we do that. But, you know, it's interesting to me because by the time I meet students in my office as, where you've been, Eva, you know, students come and say, you know, Dr. Davidson, you know, I'm just not I'm not cut out for college or my reading isn't good or I didn't learn. this, right? and, and, and it's a personal thing. Right. They believe it's them. Mm. Right. They believe the failing is they believe the failure is them that they are the failure, right? And, you know, and I always ask them, I say, well, just let's go back a bit and tell me where you went to elementary school. Oh, it was terrible. Oh, Dr. Davidson, that was horrible. I said, what about high school? Well, we had a, one good teacher there and there was this, that, and there was, you know, but really it was a terrible place. It was like a warehouse. And I said, so tell me where you thought you were gonna get the skills that you're talking about you don't have now and why you think it's a failing one you. And you better be clear that this is a policy decision that somebody made, lots of somebody's made, about a person that looks like you, right? Absolutely. Um, and that 
while you have an obligation to sort of do your best to correct those things, understand that it isn't your, it isn't of your doing, right? This is not yeah. your doing, right? Yeah. I mean, and, and, mm-hmm. no, so yeah. And that, I mean, that just was like a perfect segue into the next question that I wanted to ask you about, like, I consider you one of my mentors at John Jay, one of the people who I could go to and help kind of guide me um, in a, where do I go next? I'm confused. I think it's me. I'm the problem. What, what am I not doing? Right. Um, so just talk a little bit about mentorship and like what that looks like now because we're living in a pandemic and what it needs to look like moving into the future um because i think that that is one of the key pieces that's helped me um receive the education that i have it's not that i was like just in just extremely smart and like that's just my brain is incredible and i'm no i just had really great people who were like read this book or i think it's you got good genes. You got good genes. I think you're exactly. I think you're being a bit modest now. I think you, I think you downplaying that a little bit. But 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 the point is is is, is well taken. I think you know um, it, it's super important um, to have some people whom, and I think this is why I I I I, I take the work so seriously. Um, just because I realize how many people don't have anybody to sort of help them. I mean, you, your point was was it was really I think interesting to me that someone like you, I perceive you in a, in a certain light, in sort of a certain academic and intellectual light, obviously. Um, and you know, to to it just res- it really resonated that you know that even you, all of us, really to some degree though, we walk away with the idea that. Our failings are just us, right? It's my it's my shortcoming. It's me. It's 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 me. And I think if you don't talk to anybody else, and this is why mentorship is important, if you don't talk to anybody else to break that loop, when does the loop get broken, right? Mm. You and I think that explains so much of the world. We all are walking around feeling like, oh no, this is my this is my failure. This is my you know, I'm the one who doesn't know. I failed in this way. Well, yeah, maybe we didn't. None of us have ever made the best decision in every circumstances. But that does. But, but what we tend to do is we tend to indict ourselves and exonerate the systems. We mm. we indict ourselves and we let the systems off the hook, right? We we indict our community, we indict our families, but we let the systems that created the circumstances off the hook, right? We never bring them, you know, to brook for having created us, created circumstances in which we feel this way. Um, so I really feel like now more than ever, um, partly because of something you said earlier, you know, this is an isolating period. People don't really have, uh, you, you can't make the connections in the way you could, right? You, you It's harder to to sort of, um, to really connect and really, I used to see like 10 to 12 people a day. Now maybe I see four, um, you know, and so, and that reflects people's, the complicated nature of people's lives. It reflects a lot of things, but you know, we, really need in this moment, and I think students particularly really need in this moment, um, the support of mentors, right? People who will help them. I mean, you know, one of the things that I have done is that I've just reached out on my own to groups of students, right? To groups of black students actually, and reached out and said, listen, let's just get together, just us, our conversation, my private Zoom, we talk freely. And you know, everybody jumps on the idea, right? And you realize people are really thirsty in this moment for someone to say, listen, not you, not me, it's this, right? It's this. Um, And I think sometimes, uh, you know, one of the things that we said about the classes, I mean, you you said your classes were really exciting in 2020, but I think one of the things that was really most important to me was that, you know, 
one of the evaluations I got from 2020 was that um, the person wrote that, you know, we learned a lot, but Dr. Davidson brought compassion and understanding for us to the classroom. And like, who cares about learning? I mean, I care about learning, but I mean, I really do feel like people right now, like the thing we can do is to share, you know, our own anxieties really to bring compassion to this and then to really help do what we always should be doing is really elevating people in the ways that they need, in, in the ways that they need to help mm -hmm. people and support them and remind them. Because I think one of the things that we are grappling with more now more than ever is that it's just, it's terribly lonely like this. And it's so in that, in that unbroken loop, it's so easy to think of everything that you've done wrong and all of these things as your failure. So I think we absolutely need to really, um, revitalize we we people those of us who serve as mentors have to really do much more in terms of outreach we have to be um supporting people in lots of different ways i mean you know i think a lot of my calls now are just are, they have they're not at all about the content right i mean it's about that somebody just wants to sit and say oh you know i haven't told anybody but my mother died last month right or this is what's happening in my household um so i i think the, the need for mentorship, guidance, right, support is as acute as it ever was and probably more acute. Yeah. I, think, um, I think this moment calls from all of us to write, to really, um, to have a lot of compassion for, 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 for each other, um, for students, and particularly for those people who are most, who most, who are most acutely affected, right? Um, yeah. you know, it's interesting because one of the challenges that we've had and I think, I don't know if you, 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 you were around for this, but one of the challenges we've had, and it's not just us, it's everywhere, that there have been these discussions about students coming um, to the class with the cameras off. And is that okay? And can students have cameras off? And can they not show their screens? And, you know, there were all these professors saying, well, of course they need their cameras on. How will we know? And how can we, you know, you can't have a vibrant community without people participating. And you can't, if you can't see them, you don't know what they're doing. And it just... I mean, it felt sort of racialized. It felt it felt classes. It felt you know it, it just rubbed me the wrong way in so many ways. And you know, my my argument was, I was like, well, here's the thing: you don't know what you didn't know what they were doing when they were sitting in front of you, right? You didn't know what was happening on the laptop when they were in front of you. So the, the notion that you think, right, um, the cam the camera is going to is telling them how telling you how engaged they are is ridiculous. But it's also an interesting moment for you to check your desire to control people. Right. I mean, wow. it's a really interesting moment to think about your your need for control. But but, you know, the other piece of it is that I, I also said, you know, you can't ask a student to show you their home. Uh, that's not something I haven't historically wanted to show you my home. I don't think we can ask students to, to do that. And I said, that's not I said that actually undermines the learning process of the student. And they're like, well, there are virtual backgrounds. I'm like, yeah. And that's a bandwidth suck that some people don't have. Imagine if you're in a house with five other kids all needing to use the, the internet. I think that's, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, there are lots of ways in which, again, we've tried to impose these hierarchies, but we've done it without compassion, right? And we're doing this without mm -hmm. compassion. So I do think um, it's really important to, um, for all of us, right? For mentorship, mentors and mentees, right? I mean, it's just really important for us to bring a lot of heart and compassion to this moment, because I think people are really, um, People are really struggling. We've 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 normalized something that's abnormal right now. I mean, we've gotten sort of used to it. We throw our masks on. We're 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 somewhat used to it. It's super abnormal. It, it, you know, you 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 human beings are remarkably resilient, right? We quickly become accustomed to things, right? Um, 
and we normalize what shouldn't be, be normal, right? And so I think um, one of the things we have to do is to break that chain, is to sort of break the, 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 the sort of um, idea that we can just sort of see people face to face and like, how are you? I hope you're well and keep it moving. That's not what the moment calls for. The moment calls for us to really attend to people, to our students, to, um, to really ensure that they're doing well, even if that means you don't get to cover what was on the syllabus for that day. And I would add, add just one other thing to what you just mentioned um, around kind of the police and the camera on, camera off. Um, it, it's also an invitation for a teacher to, um, you know, look inward to themselves and, um, you know, obviously take away the idea of trying to control the student um, while, you know, thinking about how to influence them. Um, and perhaps, you know, there's something about you making the conversation that much more interesting, you making the conversation that much more um, engaging, engaging for you, like you doing the engaging part that makes a student say, you know what, I, I got to get in on this. And, you know, I'll go over to this little corner if my, you know, house is not, you know, in, in the, what I want people to see, but I need to get in on this, this conversation. So, um, you know, it, it, it allows each of us to um, to think about what the best version of ourselves is, is exactly. in order to, 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 to help students bring out the best version of themselves. I think that's so, I think that's, that's I think that's so well put. And I think that's so I think that's I think that's beautifully stated. I, 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 I think that all the time it, it, we tend to shift the burden. Right. I mean, when we're we're, we're not we're not we're not comfortable, we tend to shift the burden. We say, oh, no, it's your failure. It's your failing. It's something you aren't doing. When the, in truth, if the conversation were engaging enough, the student could participate or would participate. Or even if you can't tell the students participating, they are, right? I mean, we don't, you know, you don't have to have a quantifiable metric of student engagement. You don't know. Some of the students who are looking at you most intently are completely asleep or, you know, in right. another world or in, on a beach somewhere, right? Um, it's it's absolutely right. And I think it is a moment for us all to step up our game in that regard um, and to really um, find ways to make this uh, situation one in which people feel supported, people feel, or people feel engaged. Um, I think, you know, in lots of ways, I think that the danger of this has been in some, for some people, it's often opened up this laboratory to do new things and some people it's open this way of like well i can just make some videos and you watch the videos and then write a paper right i mean it's it's been a mixed bag but i do think uh the the, the best work that's coming out of this are people who are really still trying to engage people students who still are putting the students holistic well-being first right um i think we're seeing some we're seeing some really positive things we're seeing some really um really good stuff coming from that, I think. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the one thing we, you know, we want to know, because we're coming up towards, uh, you know, towards our time, um, if, you know, if you can speak, you know, specific to the students, you know, high school and and, and higher ed, um, and, you know, just a couple of their biggest takeaways, you know, from 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 this moment or the, or the you know, the suggestions that you want to as a mentor um, will have for how they approach things, particularly when we get back to, you know, quote unquote, more, you know, more normal. Um, what are some of the things that they can do to better influence their own, you know, edu education? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. Yeah, I think um, that's a great, great question. I think, you know, one of the things that always matters is, um, uh, you know, whether you're a high school student, whether you're a college student, where, wherever you are on, on the trajectory, right? It's, it's 
it's, I think it's super important that students recognize um, that, um, you know, we, as, I mean, I did it as a student. I mean, we tip, tend to do it. Um, I, you know, I want students, and I think they do this a lot, and I just, I say this in, 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 in no scolding way, but I want students to really very early on, as early, early on as they can, um, particularly if you're in places that aren't so wonderfully resourced or there are other situations, um, I think it's really important for us. I, I, I wish that I had been much more self-directed in my own learning, right? Instead of relying on people to tell me, this is what you know you should know. I really think that every student knows that there's something that she wants to know that turn that really just turns her on intellectually, that really makes her think, oh, wow, this is, whether it's something, you know, um, that seems, you know, I don't know, not traditional or something quite traditional, it doesn't matter. I think the important thing for a student to always do is to find the thing, whatever that thing is, find whatever it is that you just, that just makes you, it can be basketball, it can be video games, I don't care what it is, right? We, we, we have this very narrow hierarchy of the things that are acceptable motivations. Who cares what your motivation is? Who cares? What get motivated by something, right? Let something yeah. inspire you, right? Whatever that is. I don't care if you say it's, I don't know, I don't, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Let that motivation really, really inspire you. Let that thing inspire you. Because the thing is, is that, you know, the, the one of the dangers is that we've made students believe that really the only ways that they can accomplish or they can be successful is to follow these narrow pathways and these narrow sort of interests. And in fact, the reality of it is the people who really are switched on, the people who really succeed, it's because, and I'm thinking of you, but to, to, to some degree, it's people who really find the thing that they love, right? And that they, that, 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 that motivates them. And one of the things we don't tell students to do is, I'm like, look around your home, look around your community, look on your block, look, 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 look somewhere close by. I mean, we always think it's out there, it's out there. No, it might be in your house. Yeah. Yeah. It might, it might be, it might be something that you see your mother doing. It might be these things. And I think for so long, students of color, particularly black students, the things that we've thought are interesting have not been appropriate sources of scholarship or appropriate sources of inquiry, right? Mm. We think, oh no, those aren't, nobody, ridiculous. You know, I, I tell the students all the time, your experience is your expertise, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever you've experienced, you're an expert in, and you can treat it as such, right? Um, and so I would, you and I would invite students to really think about what are the things that they are loving, the things that are inspiring to them, the things that are motivating to them. Think about those things. And while we're in this moment of sort of, you know, this still in something of a pause, and I think we're going to go back into another one in a few weeks. I, don't, I think that, that's coming. You know, use the time, right? Use the time. I mean, and not in some way that you feel like you have to sort of produce or be productive, but use the time um, to, to really think about where, where, where you want to go with this, because this is going to end, right? And this is going to end, and opportunities are going to, re to materialize again. And I want, and I, I'm talking again to Black students about this, but I really do, but it's true for everybody, but I really do want um, us to come out of this in a way that, that we never look back and say, you know what, I had this strange moment, and I could have Right. I could have thought about these things. Right. Um, and I, it's not to put pressure on people. You don't have to do anything in this period. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really resistant of these things of like if you come out of this without speaking another language or having a career plan, you fit ridiculous. I mean, do your best in this situation. Um, but I think the last thing I would say is like. 
use this period to learn to do the thing. And this is the unlearning, um, Mr. Thomas, that you spoke about, I think is like, do this, do, do the thinking that's gonna unlearn, that's gonna help you unlearn some of the things that we might have believed before. Because I think what the world is going to look, is gonna look like a very different place when we go back. It's not gonna look like what we thought it was before. Um, really figure out, you know, or start thinking about the things that, you know, you can do in this new world, right? Because there are tons of things that actually have been really good for lots of people who weren't thriving in the old in the old system, right? That a lot of people weren't. I mean, this it, even your the podcast. I mean, you, you, as you say, this took off during these periods, right? I mean, it was something an idea you had, but it's 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 these things can thrive in this period. Um, and I would only and then my last thing, and I say this to students all the time, is like really don't worry about getting where you want to go, right? Figure out where you want to go. But I would invite you to worry less about whether you're going to get there, because I know that you will, right? That's the thing. I'm not, I, I really don't worry about whether people who really are committed to achieving something will achieve it. I, I feel very confident that in some way, shape or form they will. The work I think for us is to figure out who you're going to be when you get it, right? Spend some time thinking about who you're going to be when you get the things. We're all worried about, am I going to get it? Is it going to show up? Is it going to show up? Is it going to show up? Do I deserve it? Am I smart enough? What are my grades? Forget all that. Focus on who you're going to be, right? So start developing the qualities of intellect and character and heart and spirit and, in, and discipline that are going to help you when you get there. Because the question, because the key thing is you are going to get there. Um, and so, you know, I don't want another group of people to be the people who get things and then don't know how to hold them when they arrive because that's what happens to so many of us because we're our minds are on the treadmill of am i going to make it can i get there can i get there can i get there yes you can get there um just know who you're going to be when you get there yeah absolutely and so i mean crazy i'm looking at the clock and it's been 56 minutes of just like i don't feel now y'all just <laughs> Y'all got to just look in on what it was like to sit in Dr. Davidson's office and just listen to him talk, the soothing voice, like all of it, I love it. Um, and so I wanna end the way we end all podcasts with giving you the opportunity to ask us a question about the topic at hand. Um, but yeah, so you're you're the interview, you're the interviewer. So, you know, I have to say this is so, so kind of unique because I mean, I knew you as a student. And so I, I just kind of wanna ask you like, what factors do you attribute? I mean, are there were, were there any things that happened in your education that actually made this possible for you? Like we always congratulate ourselves on what students do, but we actually don't know what the formula is. We don't know what mm. happened. What, were the, what was the mix, right, of the things that were positive and negative? I guess that made it possible for you to do something like this. Wow, uh, that's a great question. I my freshman year of college, I did not go to the McDonald's over the, like on, on 59th street, like never went, like never. I came to school, I went to my two classes, I went home every day. Um, and part of it's because John Jay wasn't my first pick school. Um, part of it was because I only had two friends. Um, and so going to a commuter school was different for me because I came right. from a very small um, high school in the suburbs. And so I would go home every day and hang out with my high school friends because that was like what I did. And my second year, my second semester, I had a professor in um, in psych 
And I just like, I loved the class. Like I just loved the class. It's such a, and it was a lecture style class. So it was just interesting that I enjoyed less discussion, but I just loved all the content, all the information I was learning. And she came up to me and was like, hey, are you in the honors program? Or, and I was like, no. Um, and she was like, I'm gonna write your recommendation letter, get your application together and apply. And so I did. And so it was like a mixture of the honors program and all of the resources that are available to students who are in a program like honors. Um, and then I got into McNear and I found my people, right? right? Like those are my humans every single day in the McNear at our tiny little McNear lounge that wasn't as beautiful and gorgeous as the honors lounge, but like we had a great time in there every single day. And we would just talk for hours. Like I could be home right now, but I would just stay and we would just talk. and. It came to the point where I got an internship through the Vera uh, Fellowship, and two weeks in, I knew that I was supposed to teach. I knew that education was what I was supposed to do, and I changed everything. I changed my major. I went to your office. I changed my research um, idea, like changed everything, and I just went for it, and I had people backing me saying, like, you're in college and you're supposed to change. Like, you don't have to get a PhD in psychology because that's what you told yourself in eighth grade. Like, you don't have to do that. And so I had a bunch of people who supported me through um, the idea that like, this is the person who you want to be. This is the passion, this is your calling. Don't try to fit into a job or an idea that you had for yourself um, when you came here because that changes, that's what college is for. And so the, that really was the formula, having incredible people, incredible mentors, shout out to Jama, shout out to um, Dr. Patton, Dr. Lentz, um, Dr. Lee, are we kidding? Like Dr. Gordon Nemhart, um, Dr. Nina Rose Fisher, like all of them are just- All of them, everybody's a doctor? <laughs> They're professors at college. <laughs> they get PhDs. Um, but they're, Very I mean, cool. they're all just like incredible people. Um, and obviously you. Um, that just really just walked me through, like, you can do these things. Imposter syndrome is fake. Like, stop li listening to that thing in the back of your head that's telling you you can't do it. And mm -hmm. like, keep pushing forward. So yeah, that, that was the formula. John Jay definitely, it. definitely is will make it will get a footnote in the in the uh in the memoir for sure i, love it. I, I, love <laughs> it. I really do i love that it's it's, it, it's always helpful to know like what what did the student perceive made this possible so i think that's it's really it's like you're saying that and i really do i do appreciate that and i appreciate Absolutely. you all um talking to you all that was really fun obviously i i, I can talk forever so um it was really lovely <laughs> Um, and thank you for that. Um, absolutely, absolutely. Are there, is there anything you want to leave people with? Is there anything your last statement that you want to leave listeners with? Of like, this is this is kind of my gift to you before we head out. It's just it's not a gift for me to anybody, but it's something that you just <laughs> said about this notion. When we had this conversation about imposter syndrome, it being fake, and you know these ideas. I mean, I I, I always think it's interesting because it, it when you said that it it, it dawned on me that you know. And I say this to students a lot. I mean, it's really important for us to recognize, and it, it sort of circles back to how we began this conversation, because I thought about this when the, when the person read my bio the other day. Um, you know, those feelings that we have that we're not good enough, we haven't done enough, there's something inadequate about us, we don't belong. I mean, those feelings are very real. I mean, and I think it's important to be psychologically and spiritually unsound to say that those feelings weren't real. The thing about it is a feeling can be real and at the same time not be true. 
right? And I think it's just important to subject our own feelings to some inquiry, right? And to say, yeah, like I am feeling that, don't deny that. But understand that a lot of those feelings you have, they feel very real, they just aren't true, right? A thing can feel real and not be true. And we believe our own thoughts way too much. So I guess the only thing I'd say to people is stop believing your thoughts, right? We believe our thoughts. If we stop believing your thoughts, right? We can do something really different. And that goes for this whole conversation. If we stop believing our thinking about what education looked like, if we stop believing about how things had to be done, we could find those feelings feel real. They just aren't true, right? They, it just isn't true. So that's what I would think. That's what you made me think of it as, as, as a closing word. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you, You're everyone, for listening. Um, he dropped the gems. So all we yeah. have to do is listen to them. <laughs> Always a pleasure. It was lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you, Mr. Thomas. Lovely to meet you. It's a real pleasure. So be in touch. Ava, let me know what's coming next. Um, but, you know, I, I, I want to say thanks again. And really, just once again, like, I'm super proud of you. You're really, you're Thank really you. making it happen. And nothing, nothing could be better to an educator than seeing it actually happen in real life. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a lovely day. Thank you so yeah, much. Me too. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. Yeah. <sighs>